Welcome to Dictate the Podcast, the podcast for Dictate the Game, where you can find various articles, guides, analysis, and whatnot about Football Manager, past and present. Um, it's the first podcast in a little while, so I had a little hiatus, uh, which is probably my fault. Um, I'm FM Tahiti, and with us today we've got a few people, so we've got Ryan with us. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Um, we've also got Kate, old lady plays with us. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. And then we've also got with us, new to the writing team, and new to dictate the game, but not to FM, uh, we have Roxend. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thanks. Uh, a bit nervous to be here, but uh, let's let's see how it goes. No, it's, it's good to have you here as well. So Roxend, you can find uh, their own personal blog as well as some articles on dictate the game for us too. So well worth checking out if you've not done already. We'll put a link in the description for the pod for all of us, but you know. Check out the check out the new people first. Um, yeah, let's let's kind of get back into it. So it's been a little while, uh, and we've all written lots of stuff. So normally we just go through what we've done in the past week, but we've not been as regular as that. It's been many many weeks. Uh, so we've all actually had a go at writing a few bits and pieces. So we could all pick a favourite if we've done more than one. How about you, Kate? What have you been writing recently? Um, so my last one was actually maximising your team talks. Take us through that then. Oh, I don't remember it very well because it was more than three weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you generally about it is that um, is it's a look at um, particularly the initial team talk of the game. Um, and it's uh, just an overview of, of, what's, of what I do and why I don't, for instance, use the, the, the ritual of I have faith. Um, mm-hmm. And and things like that. So I, I think it's it's really interesting. I thought because um, you did a series of tips on YouTube, didn't you? And I'm pretty I sure I remember you talking about how just because you've got a green reaction doesn't yep. mean it's a good reaction. Exactly, because um, what I've seen happening with with the I have faith ritual is you do get a bunch of motivated, but you also get a bunch of happy. And yeah. I've never been all that jazzed about getting my players happy. I want them mad and, and ready to fight. I don't want them, you know, happy skippy. So, um, and the other thing about the, about the I Have Faith is that you can sometimes, if you watch very carefully, you can sometimes see that if you say I Have Faith to one player, somebody else's reaction changes. Yeah, that's true. And that I think is is interesting and is why I don't use it as a as a general rule because it's it's not to me as reliable as people take it to be. And I mean on another level I just find it really gamey. Just you know to always say I have faith to all three sections of the team and it just feels gamey, you know what I mean? Like downloading tactics it's 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 something you can do but it just doesn't feel right to me. I know what you mean. I think when I find myself doing the same team talk too often, it kind of hits me that a real manager, if they just went in and said the same thing each and every time, um, would not be getting the reaction. Although I do quite like, whenever there's the option, um, get revenge. Uh That's one of my favourite ones, just to get them angry. Definitely. Yeah, I, I read it and I, I loved it because I 
I found myself doing what you just said about the the gamey thing. It's something yeah. that I, you know, watching YouTube and that kind of thing. Um, it's something I I saw everyone do. So I guess like, well, it it's gotta be good or something. Uh, I'm not that uh, experienced in the game really. I mean, I only play like two or three FMs back, FM seventeen, I think. So right. it, I, I felt like it's gotta be something good. I remember reading, uh, uh, I think in the SI forums, like someone saying, just because you get a, a green reaction doesn't mean it's good. And yeah. that kind of resonated with me in, in, in your article. Like, yeah, they're happy. What does that mean? Are they going out to win? Are they going out to get revenge? Are they going out to do something or just like stand there smiling? So I, it, yeah. it really <laughs> it really helped me and I, and I truly stopped doing the the half faith thing um, in my team talks. I've been complaining lately a lot about uh, interactions in FM in general. I had a guy miss a penalty, a 17-year-old miss a penalty that was won us the match. And I had no option to go tell him, like, it's okay, mate, I don't mind. It's a regular match. I mean, I don't want to, to have his career yeah. ruined because he, he missed a penalty. And there was no option to do that, so I no. I, I think interactions are quite limiting, uh, and I really enjoy your your article because of like it got me thinking. Yeah, you uh, you don't have to do that gamey thing. You can you do something better, and when you try to do something better, you can see that it's it's a bit lacking. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, you know, it'll certainly happen that I'll get no reaction from things. But I'm always willing to try various things just to see what happens and and look for what I think is the best one in the situation rather than the the most reliable. I think it's good for getting rid of weak links as well. If you see someone who's reacting badly to sensible yes. team talks, then you can send them on the way. Mm-hmm. So do you think there should be more options sort of available to sort of encourage, like like you were saying then about your player taking a penalty and him missing, You should there should be ways to encourage rather than not everything has to be either really good or really bad. There is some stuff that you can encourage rather, you know, sort of differentiate stuff and try and get the actual interaction, which I know you actually enjoy, Kate. So I think it's... Yeah. It's it. I I I do agree that there does need to be sort of change where it's it's essentially micromanaging, but the the options there for users to use and it and it could actually it should influence how it works because at the end of the day you could lose the dressing room like they do in real life, and you need to think about how you can come back from this rather than just saying oh yeah, assertive, uh, you know I'm expecting you to do well, for example. Yeah, yeah, and particularly I mean. When in, in 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 this instance, I mean, I could just tell him you did good, you did wrong, or nothing in particular. Yeah. <laughs> no, neither of those like felt like it was what I want to say. Beyond the, like the actual words, I felt like none of those options was gonna convey to the computer what I meant. So I I tried like. Yeah, I, I think it was the, the, the good option. And of course, he was confused and demotivated because I was just like congratulating him on missing a penalty. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that that's something that really should should get worked in, in the future because I think it's uh, 
it's a facet of the game that could really you know get better get more interest, more interesting yeah i would like to see them if the, if i were given that that the magic wand and could make one change it would be that you should you should have to vary your team talks a lot more than you do because mm. it's far too easy and you can see people doing it every day on youtube where literally they will make they will let the assistant take the first one and then they will just go faith 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 it's just muscle memory though isn't it really because there's nothing there's it no option there's no more options there which you know could actually have a bigger influence if it's just sort of tried and tested there's no saying i'm sure they had it in the game where you if you kept doing the same thing they wouldn't react but i'm not sure how true that is well it certainly used to be in the game it doesn't seem to be as strong an effect as it used to be if anything um i do see it sometimes like i like to use the pundits one to prove a point if it's available because that's usually effective but i do notice that if i do it sort of three or four weeks in a row it gets less effective i don't think i've ever had do it for the fans work yeah neither have i Oh, yeah, know that you, there's only one specific circumstance you can do that, and that's during a rivalry match. Um, if it's a rivalry match, especially if you're at home, you can get away with asking them to do it for the fans because it, for whatever reason, they just get up for, for rivalry matches in a way that they don't for others. Um, you can sometimes get it with a really big game too, like a Champions League you know, semi-final or something like that. Um, sometimes the fans will get a reaction that you want. I have to save that one then. Yeah, having played with with Nacional and uh, because of how the, the the Uruguayan league works, you basically face them like four or six times every every season. I've noticed that it, it actually works, like telling them. I I, I saw that, that that what you said in the article that it really works when it's a uh, a derby. But yeah. when it's any other match, it's like not talking to them. It's like non-conducive. Yeah. So. Well, I'm going to change the way I approach my team talks. Well, I'm going to get more angry with my team talks, I think. I think that might be one way forward. It's funny is that I almost never use anything but calm on my team talks. Um, except when I really want to make a point to them. And because I do it calm all the time, when I raise my voice, it shows. Like, I get all green. If I raise my voice, if I go assertive or aggressive, God help me, it, it gets complete attention. It's kind of lull them into a false sense of security. Something like that, or a real sense of security, but then... <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, what have you been writing recently? I can't remember when we did the last pa- podcast I was on, but I remember uh, my article uh, on Asweesian. Um from Loris, so she wrote most of that, so I just sort of formatted it for the website. But in terms of what I've actually wrote, sort of, that's actually my work, I wrote about uh, the complete win-back role in Football Manager um, and how I sort of fell in love with it. And then there's actual article I'm going to speak about is the managing outside of Europe. Oh, so, yeah. so like, Fernando is um, national, national, was it? National. Yes. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Um, I'm I'm managing uh, rentistas. I don't know if the pronunciation pronunciation of that is correct. Close enough. It's uh, rentistas. 
Yep, I'm not going to repeat that, so we're just going to follow. <laughs> just copy-paste. Yeah, copy-paste. I'll just copy your, your, your little your voice part of it. So, yeah, that's um, I, this is the actual first year I've decided that I wanted to try something a little bit different. Normally, I like going a bit unemployed, unemployed and then just seeing where the game sort of takes me, but I wanted to actually start a save over in South America, and I've not had this much fun in a save in so long. I mean, the system and the league is crazy. I'm still can't get my head around it, but it's just the way that everything just sort of falls into place and there's no sort of pressure on you thinking, oh, we have to get Champions League football or anything like that. Or you, And it's sort of the sense of where you know a lot of the players in Europe, so you sort of know where you want to scout. You'll see these coming up all the time on these YouTube videos. And a lot of um, like content creators will be recommending this wonder kid, for example. But over in South America, it's um, slightly slightly different in terms of not as many people are playing there. So you've got to sort of find everything out for yourself. And that's something that I wanted to do. And I've, I'm really, really enjoying it. And that's what I, why I did the uh, Complete Wingback article is because it's just that's so, so good. But I don't know if, yeah, Pelham and uh, Kate, you have any experience managing outside of uh, Europe? Actually, lots, yeah. Um, my favourite player that I've ever had come through a youth intake was a Brazilian lad. I was managing at Fortaleza in uh, in the Brazilian Serie C and I promoted them to the A and we won it. And I had this kid come through, an amazing striker with like 20s all over the place. He was crazy good. Um, and he was just, he went on to score 100 goals for Brazil. And eventually I took him with me to, to Bayern Munich. Um, so we could win a Champions League for him as well and a World Golden Ball. Did so. he get that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, he was amazing. And he came through my youth intake. It was fantastic. So what do you sort of feel the difference is between managing, say, in a European country as opposed to, say, South America or even anywhere outside of Europe? Um, for a start, every club in South America is a selling club. Yeah. Sort of a, conve- right. a conveyor belt, really, isn't it? That's the sort of method yeah. I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, every club is a selling club. So you can, it doesn't matter what club you're at, somebody's going to come along and try and pinch your best players. I mean, that's, that's just every single season that's going to happen. So you have to be always on the lookout for more young talent to be able to replace the players who are coming off the top. So yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. I've actually really enjoyed um, managing in South America. I've done... Brazil, I've done Argentina, I've done Chile, but that's all so far. So far, that's more than most, though. How about you, Pelham? Yep. Have you uh, managed in South America, outside of Europe? Or? Um, well, I always manage in Tahiti, but that's my made-up one. Yeah, I'd say that counts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've had a couple in South America and North America as well, so MLS. Um, I normally have a, a stab at every now and again, which is quite fun because of all the drafting rules. Not always implemented properly, but it can be quite fun, especially with the expansion teams as they bring them through. Uh, but also I play quite a lot in Asia. So I've done quite a few where I played in Malaysia or Indonesia. And it's this weird combination of having huge attendances, but zero cash. Oh, and when you do have cash, there's nobody worth spending it on. And anyone is worth the money won't come to you anyway. It's this weird kind of big fish small pond that you get until you get into like the um 
Champions League for Asia, and then suddenly you get the big fish of like uh, China, South Korea, just destroying everybody. So it's this weird kind of challenge that comes with it. Uh, but South America's always fun. North it, and Central is good as well, so Mexico is quite fun too. Oh yeah, there is there is a, 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 like I mentioned in the article, there is like a world outside of Europe, and I think I think I've almost had the perception of whatever team you want to manage, the idea is to get them as high up as possible, and that's the Champions League. You apply that same situation to a South American team or similar. It's completely different. Like Kate said, most of the teams are a selling club. So if you can transform a club from a seller club into the team that's the buyer club with the limited funds that you actually do get available at the best of times, then you can really, really have some really exciting times there. Yeah, I mean... uh... Uh, for me, it wasn't such an exotic experience, uh, <laughs> <laughs> logically. But um, yeah, something that that we were talking in the in the group, and that's something that uh, I heard Crusader Star uh, said, mm-hmm. is that um, he always like measured the progress on the save uh, by getting to the Champions League, which I mean, if you're in Europe, is like the most logical thing to do. To do. Mm-hmm. And something that I was trying to tell him is that winning the Libertadores is, I don't, I don't want to say it's harder, but it's a different challenge because outside of, I'd say, maybe Boca, River, and the, the Brazilian sides, um, that conveyor belt thing that, that Ket said, it's more pronounced. I mean, like, those sides can sometimes hold other players and, and improve. Yeah. And they have a much larger, like, uh, economical base. But, I mean, I was managing Nacional, which is, like, one of the two most massive uh, massive sides in, in, in Uruguay. It's, like, uh, Nacional y Peñarol son, like, uh, the... Uh, sorry. Le, like, the um, the Celtic and Rangers of, of Uruguay. Like, mm-hmm. between them, they won, like, sure. 90% of the titles. And even then... I could not like hold to players. I mean, an, an offer came from like one of my best players for like 2.4 million euros, and there was no way I could re- reject it because like the player wanted to go, the money was good, the board wanted the money, so it's it's a hard challenge in 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 the sense of the mountain you have to climb to become a good side in South America, away from like I said again, uh, Boca River, maybe the, the the Brazilian Big 12. Because uh, it's it's a it's something that you can see very very clearly how it's it's so tricky to to get talent together and to make it work. Uh, so it's it's a very different mountain to climb. I'm not saying it's a harder mountain to climb, but it's a very different method. It sounds a lot like it's about constant cycles of recruitment or upgrading or always being upgrading or always be upgrading, which is an article from Old Lady Plays as well. Yeah. Might be useful if you're going to be um, managing in that kind of conveyor belt style style of league. But I think if anyone's just stuck to Europe, you're missing out. For sure. Definitely just a, try and you save, open it up, play around with it, mess around with it. Don't get too worried about the rules to begin with. Yeah, and, yeah. and one more thing uh, about what you said about having massive amounts of people in, in the stadiums and, and little money. The the Estadio Centenario is like 60,000 people uh, capacity. Mm-hmm. Every Nacional versus Peñarol uh, derby, it's filled. It's like right. you have 
30,000 people Nacional, 30,000 people from Peñarol. Oh, Every wow. match. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's like you make like 10K in, in money revenue in euros. That's, that's it. <laughs> but, so. isn't, but isn't there a, um, in some of the cup games in Uruguay, correct me if I'm wrong, the larger team plays at home, but you get the fan, uh, you get the money from the, uh, the capacity. Is that correct? Or is that just for the really, really big games? Because I'm, I'm sure that I've played a game against uh, uh, one of the top teams and I was I got all the gate receipts. I can't I don't remember though if that's right. Sometimes or. what small teams do, like rentistas, is um, they host uh, either Nacional or Peñarol in the Estadio Centenario, which is the, the stadium the Uruguayan national team plays. Yeah, that, so they can take yeah, advantage. Yeah. So they can the, take advantage yeah, of yeah. So the bigger stadium, better facilities, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's where it was. I got caught up, mixed up in the whole perception of what it is. I think what you're describing, Ryan, sometimes happens in European leagues, where you can essentially give up your home advantage to get bigger gate receipts. Yeah, yeah, that happens in, in Europe. I know it definitely happened in uh, Europe. I remember playing a game. I was like, "Wow, there's a lot of people here, and I'm at home." <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing I think I noticed about South America particularly um, was there's a real big club bias in the leagues, especially in the league rules, right? Like, I don't know if you, how much you know about Argentinian football or Brazilian football, but there's, there have been many times when they have changed the rules when one of the big clubs is going to get relegated. <laughs> they change the rules so that, for instance, now it's the last three years of average points decides relegation. And look, magically, that means that River doesn't go down. I like it. Um, Corruption at its finest. It, it really <laughs> is. It really is. <laughs> you picked a, a very bad example. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean it like uh, to, to... I mean, I mean it wrong, but... Um, no, no, sure. You, you, you picked a very bad example because Rivers was actually relegated in that system and it was like one of the biggest scandals in, in Argentinian football. Uh, <laughs> the, that system was actually put in place, I think, in 41 or 51 to save oh. Boca Juniors, actually, from getting relegated. There you go. And did they get saved? It worked yeah. that time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, well, because it's unusual for a huge team to have three bad years in a row. They might have yeah. one off here, but they're not going to have three bad ones in a row. So the odds that they're going to go down are very small. Definitely does favor the big teams. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it actually helps the small teams sometimes, um, particularly when they qualify some for like uh, Libertadores or Copa Sudamericana, which is like the Europa League of South America. Yeah. Um, because it, it allows them to focus on the continental front without like being in risk of of dropping they have like one good season you score like i don't know 60 good points point. so it, it averages out with your bad season next season where you're trying to to win or uh, the, the continental competition you know sure. uh, but but other than that yeah it's it's mainly there so so in argentina at least it's mainly there so boca river uh, don't don't go down actually the earth Three big teams, which are Independiente, uh, San Lorenzo, yeah, Racing, and Racing. Sorry, um, actually went down, <laughs> but um, but yeah. 
hadn't thought about the small teams. Hadn't, no, I hadn't thought that about the small teams either. That's a really good point. But so, yeah, everyone should go to South America, if you've not already. Um, yeah. And on the kind of South American front, Roxanne, Fernando, um, you've written for us as well. I think you've got one article. Yeah, it is fairly easy for me to think of the, the article I want to talk <laughs> about because it's just the one. Uh, but yeah, I wrote about uh, the, the method I use, the, the way I, I set up a save. Um, as I said, I'm fairly new to FM. I'm not like an absolute new noob, but uh, I'm fairly new. And I, I, I was only, always very, very intrigued about how to set up a save in a way that it would work, yeah, not, not, you know, favor any, any, any sort of CPU uh, weirdness. And I, I, I read a bit on the, a lot on the subject, and I end up setting up for a, a way in which I like select which country I'm going to, to manage, or, or at least start on, or what, which area, and pretty much just, just select countries around it and also the the big five leagues you know like england france italy germany and spain and their second divisions one is uh, the first is to like have uh, a good pool of players from which to 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 get players to sign players to to have those leagues develop accordingly and the other one is to to keep the market without uh, doing weird things where you know some things, some teams get better than the other, and I found that it's a, it's a fairly generous uh, approach in terms of processing capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I generally end up with databases around like sixty thousand to to seventy thousand uh, uh, players, and are somewhere around ten to twenty leagues. So it, my PC, which is not like the best, but it's not also terrible, uh, ends up coping nicely with it and it gives me the, the chance to manage in different places without you know having to load a ton of of leagues a ton of countries and the other one the other, the other part of the article is about um it's about how to configure a manager without like going for the classic fm route of it's me uh, mm-hmm. with my name my birth date my everything like to how to build a character to to spice up the the save i mean in my my current a South American journeyman save. I'm playing as I don't know if anyone played uh, Pro Evolution Soccer, but I'm playing as uh, Castolo, the, the striker from the Master League team. And uh, you know, it's it's a way to to approach it differently, to think of a backstory, to think of how well, how would this guy play, which coaches influence him, um, what types of player would would sign. I mean, I always think of how. When when Arsene Wenger got to to Arsenal in '96, he brought with him all this uh, amount of French players or players he knew from continental from the continental game, and you know it's a way of thinking. Well, he's a Brazilian manager, so he's probably gonna sign favor signing Brazilian players wherever he is. So when I was in National. I I signed some some Brazilian kids, you know. I had a mostly Brazilian uh, back uh, back stuff, back back team, back. Crew back staff, staff. 
bathroom yeah. stuff. That's the one I was looking. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's a way I have of of setting up a save, so it's not always the same process of uh, starting with set team, signing all of the wonder kids, and then get getting bored in the third the third season. I love the alter ego stuff. I don't think I've used like myself as a manager for for years now. I always like the kind of like you're saying that extra kind of flavor that it brings, the kind of style that it's going to be, or the backstory, or the rivalry. Sometimes I know quite a few people uh, give it a go as well, but I think I've I use um, I've mentioned it on the podcast before. Usually, I use the name of my favorite. Mexican new gen winger from FM05. But for my current Tahiti one, I used my record striker from the season before from Tahiti, Yannick Janin. And I've got to a, a point uh, in the save. So, spoilers for like the three people who watch it. Uh, oh. But I had one of those um, meetings with the board where you've got to kind of grovel for your job or you've got to suggest they set your targets or whatever. And because I've got this kind of alter ego, I have this weird decision of, do I give the answer that means I might get to carry on playing the game with this team? Or do I go for the answer I think the manager would go for? As right. being a kind of cocky young manager. Um, and it kind of changes some of those decisions where you might not make the optimal like football manager Decision, kind of like we were talking about with the team talks. You might not be trying. You might not take the decision that means you're gaming it. But you might make the decision that fits with what your manager would do. It kind yeah. of changes the game for me. Sort of gives it a narrative, essentially. That... Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's what I favor most about the game is the is the whole storytelling aspect. So I really like that approach. Yeah, I I think it's it's. I know it's maybe not for everyone. Maybe it's, uh, I think everyone enjoys FM in a different way, and maybe someone just like wants to run their 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 favorite team, being themselves, doing whatever they would do, and that's it. But for example, uh, the the save I use an, as an example in the article is a save I started with um, tennis Borussia Berlin. Uh, it's a team in the fifth mm-hmm. year, I think, of German football. Yeah, it's low. Low, low down, it, it, it's it's very low, yeah. And and I went for a, for an American manager with with uh, German roots. And it, yeah. since it's Tenny Borussia Berlin, I just couldn't not name him like Federer. So <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, and that also led me to like signing a bunch of uh, American players. Uh, you know, it, it's it just leads you places that you might not never get if you if you're doing the same thing so uh, i enjoyed i like like kat said uh, i really enjoy the the narrative part you know the storytelling part of the game and i think it's a it's a great way to to get involved with it what about you ryan i've always gone with my name um the and that's that's about it i don't know why i've never really done that i always feel like if i, I put myself in on the touchline as opposed to someone putting someone else there, if that makes any sense. So from the sounds of it, you're making a sort of narrative for someone that's sort of fictional, whereas I'm creating something that for me would be factual for me. If I was in the, if so, if I, if I was wearing the manager's shoes, I think if I had a player who I like sort of fell in love with and had them for very, very, very many years, 
someone like Nicholas Castro, who um, is one of my favourite players on Football Manager, and Gary Martin, if they weren't real players, I'd probably create a manager profile for them. <laughs> you with Leighton Baines. Yeah, right. Leighton Baines, yeah. Oh, God, what a man. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> that was the aim. Moving on. <laughs> and then for me, I've written one article in like 12 weeks because I basically like change nappies now. That's my thing. Um, and mine was about playing um, the mobile version of FM, FM M20. Right. Um, and the long and short of it is if you can't play a proper football manager, it's not bad for three ninety nine, which is how much it was at the time. I don't know if it's changed. It might be on sale or something. But it's, it's very like right. the old championship managers in the kind of the speed and the depth or lack of depth for it. But it's it's kind of yeah, it's the methadone to the heroin kind of comparison. It's it's I've not never heard that as a comparison, right. but <laughs> yeah, what's that's, what that's, that's what the tagline should be on the main website. <laughs> that's yeah. what the actual M stands for. It's Football Manager Methadone Twenty. <laughs> I've actually I've tried mobile, but I've I've not really enjoyed it because they take the things that they take away to strip it down are the things that I. Yeah, yeah. Just like the man management side of things, the more micromanaging. Whereas this exactly. is a little bit more plug and play. Yeah, that's it. If you like the yeah. sort of the man management side of it, if you like the finance side of it as well, and if you like some of the really fine tuning of tactics, it strips all of that away, which yeah. is uh, a bit of a pain. But I'm doing all right. Got a trophy for Port Maddock and then got them promoted with only one loss during the season. And they've got this, nice. I think my favourite bit, there are two favourite bits for me, actually. One is, after every match, you get this kind of bar graph of your player's progress with a percentage of how much they've mm-hmm. improved. It doesn't ever tell you to what. Like, it might be 10%, but it's not like 10% mm-hmm. of what is that, like 0.1 of an attribute increase or something. You, you never quite get that detail. Um, but it makes it very clear who's progressing and who isn't. And you can click on it and tells you, is it because right. they're a young player and this is more first team football than they're used to, so they're doing well? Or is it because they're in really good form? Or is it because they're an older player and they're doing well because you're managing to you know, keep them sharp by playing them? And that's quite a nice, very instant sort of feedback thing. Uh, but the other thing is the youth intake at the end of the season is basically like a lucky dip. And you just get these, uh, a selection of like blank player profiles that appear with question marks. And then you just click reveal, and it lets you know how many stars your player is, and then you sign them. See, they could be terrible, they could be fantastic. You have absolutely zero input, which I guess is a little bit like um, how you do in the full version. But it's just kind of made it sort of all razzle dazzly, mm-hmm. like they're just moving cards around right. on the table. And you've got to pick the right one, except you get to pick them all. But yeah, it's 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 not yeah. ever going to replace Football Manager, even. I think it does a better job than touch. I would Ooh, say that. I don't think I can handle right. that. Touch is my... Well, I've, to be fair, I've played a lot more of the full game this year than touch because touch is normally my sort of multiplayer go-to because of how quick it is for sort of processing and getting in between things. So we've sort of covered everything on the site, really, with the mobile touch and then the vast majority of things are for the full fat game. Yeah, it's worth checking out the touch one 
as well. If you're thinking that the full version is getting a bit much, or you're a bit curious, try or, touch, try yeah. mobile. Even if you've sort of reducing your sort of time, that's the main reason I did it. Not for the enjoyment of the game, but I took out a lot of the things which like the training and stuff I don't I don't really take over anyway. But to have that not in there and it's sort of been done all by assistant, you just pick what like what you want to sort of focus on. Just the smaller things which just over time save so much time. Touch didn't quite work for me just because I needed to be able to play one handed. On the on the go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have I have well, I have I have a friend of mine that um he said he couldn't get himself he couldn't allow himself to, to get into FM properly again because he was less, like sinking hours of the day, losing time. Uh, so he, he started sure. going with, with mobile and he has enjoyed it a lot. I mean, I, I've never tried it myself personally, but, uh, but he seems like to think it's a, it's a perfect compromise between doing it, you know, enjoying the game and not having it absorb all of your life. Exactly. Right. Exactly that. And I think that's what, for me, this is why mobile's better than touch because mobile's, it makes all the compromises. There's none of these kind of like unhappy compromises in the middle. It's just either it's in or it's not. And if it's in, it's fast. And if it's not, well, it's fast because it's not in. Whereas touch has tried to strike a balance. Right. And it's a bit trickier as a balance goes. But yeah, go for it. Try it out. Don't, don't blame us if you get addicted to it though. So I think that's all our articles. We've got plenty more we could talk about. Uh, there's been lots since the last uh, podcast. You can find them on dictatethegame.com or you can follow us on Twitter. And there's always, every week, we'll post up the new ones as they come along. There's lots of total football ones up there as well. There's some experiments on pace, scouting network ones, some ones on roles. There's the Mirror Magic series by FM Stag as well. She's got some interesting um, mirror choices for f- famous players. But what has everyone else been looking at? So we've got the stuff we've been writing, but what's been going on in the community, sort of blog-wise or video-wise or or whatever? What have people been filling their time with? Well, for me, outside of my regular YouTube saves, I've actually got involved in this in Custard Profit's latest project. I was going to ask you about four, that. Which is, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We're really enjoying it. I mean, it's just eight really good creators a lot of fun good people and uh we're having a good time ragging each other (laughs) about things and and you know a lot of friendly banter uh which is it's really entertaining so uh, and it's uh it's been quite a challenge because this particular setup we have um custard profit made us take the same manager that they would that they took in previous editions which means a uh, regional footballer, professional, and uh, I think a national A license. And the club that we drew this time, it was purely random, but the club that we drew this time was Juventus. And so, as you can imagine, having a very low reputation manager, I think mine's half <laughs> a star, um, is, it's been very difficult to get the board and the players on side. Like, I was looking at my dynamics earlier, I am now 14 games into the season. My managerial support is below average. And in my hierarchy, I've got four players who oppose me, five players like me, and the rest of the pair <laughs> one with the other. <laughs> and that's how, I, that's, that's how I've gotten managed to get that far 
despite this being my area, this is what I do is do well with dynamics. And it's been really challenging um, because only the league points count for the versus challenge. But of course, the board doesn't know about yeah. the versus challenge. So as far as they're concerned, they still want you to win the Champions League and the, and the Coppa Italia as well as Serie A. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, they've not got low expectations. So, no, no. And if you're a low reputation manager, it's really hard to get respect of the players, especially when they've got huge reputations. I mean, you've got Christian yeah, Ronaldo as well. Are they a fan or are they not a fan? Uh, I'm not, hang on, let me just see. Uh, okay, Higuain, Pjanic, Chesney, James Rodriguez all dislike me. Find him, release him. Buffon's on my side. Buffon's on my side, and Delict and three young players. Yeah, it's a divided dressing room. It is. It is. It's been it's been very interesting though, and the different approaches that people have taken, and and all of that. Like Bobby G went out and spent five hundred million on <laughs> players, using. Using the never never, basically, you know, I'll, we'll pay you ten million this year and one hundred and fifty million next year, sort of thing. I like it. Um, and he's promised so much that he's absolutely going to fail FFP <laughs> um, in the next in the next season. And um, I can't see how he doesn't get sacked at the end of the season when all those bills come due. Fabi is probably be gone. Destroy an exit, so he'll be off. Well, but that's the thing, is that the, the way this group, this has been set up, we've got eight creators, they're in two groups of four, and the top two in each group will go on to compete in one group in a second yeah. season with the same club. <laughs> so if Bobby happens, even if Bobby happens to, to get to, to, to win the thing on our side uh, of the draw, it's still going to end up being... Um, a real problem for him, I think, when the summer comes and the bills come due, and the money is not there. I'm just, I'm just, so, I'm just imagining, you know, that kind of like cartoon style where people open the wallet and like a moth comes out or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, where's the best place for people to catch that? Uh, on YouTube, uh, look, check out the hashtag versus four, like versus and the number four. And it, uh, you'll find we've all tagged our videos that way, so you can find them all easily enough, as well as Twitter. Um, we also use the hashtag there, so it's fairly easy to find. Fernando, what have you been reading and watching? Um, well, there's been a lot of, of great content lately on FM, uh, this week particularly. I have a few on, on the list to, to read. Uh, one by, by, by FM Brands, I think, other, but... Uh, Oliver Jensen, but um, yeah. the one the one that I, that I actually got to read uh, yet because I've been awfully busy is um, the latest uh, tactic recreation by by FM Grasshopper. He's been looking at uh, Los Angeles FC and the the Bob Bradley four three three, and he he actually I mean he his his writing is always very good. His tactic tactic analysis is always very good but i think the the greatest compliment i can pay him i guess is that he got me like itching to watch watch some mls oddly <laughs> enough 
Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so now I mean, it, it, he raises a couple of interesting points. I mean, the way that the the wingers shift wings to to keep like the the opponent guessing, you know, it's it's a very in, in, interesting tactic and one that I like to see live, you know, like watch the actual team perform it. Uh, I, I could give it a try, I think, in my in, in my saves, but I'm currently like going for a, a very hard three at the back policy, so I don't know how I could fit it. But but yeah, it was a, a really interesting piece, and I think one again very well written, so it's uh, it was really good. It's definitely worth a read. Excellent. What about you, Ryan? What have you been? Casting your eyes over. I've uh, really liked uh, Schreikler's Guido Mary's uh, Schitthausen article. Um, still than what I was going to do. Yeah, because I just think it goes so against how he normally plays the game. Like, he seems very intricate about stuff. And I've, I've met Guido, and he's just a uh, really, really nice lad. And it's just, it just amazing to see that, like, you're sort of, you're the first person within the community that I sort of known about uh, Pelham that was actually interested more in the sort of shithouse and hoofball sort of <laughs> way of playing. And it seems that like, I've, I've seen a lot more people using it now and it's, it's it sort of took, took off in even in the frequently asked questions at the bottom, he actually does give you sort of a, a homage to say like, you know, this is what I've sort of got the advice and suggestions from, but it's, yeah. it is a, it's a very interesting read. Uh, especially for someone in the community who's so well-known to uh, basically anti-football football, essentially. Well, it's, um, yeah, so we had, we had a bit of a chat about it, um, but I was a bit useless because I've been away doing stuff. Um, but we did talk about a few bits and pieces of the article to begin with. But I think it's mentioned Stouter's Scribe, Bust the Net and FM Scout as well for that one because it's, there's a, an increasing community of shithouses. And they could conclude uh, Simon in that. You have ah. to think. You, yeah, yeah, you and Simon are the, the leaders of shit house. <laughs> Taking a hoofball around the world. But I would say, you, you said he's normally quite intricate, um, the tactics, things like that. But I would say shit housing is one of the most intricate ways of doing it. Because Yeah, just not the very conventional way of, uh, you know, the most attractive way. Yeah, because you, you're breaking down someone's tactic, which means you need to understand the tactic, and then you need to be able to then break the legs of all the people playing that tactic. So it's um, and there's a lot more legs than there are players, so it's quite quite involved. Um, and also a big fan of the gifs in the article as well, including the uh, Terry Tate office linebacker gif, which is an absolute favourite of mine. But yeah, that's the one I was going to pick. Um, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, stuff me there. Well, actually, you could just. Look at pretty much anyone on the um, FM library, actually. Look at their so very own uh, Roxend FM or FM Stag are on there. They're quite quite good and worth a, a read with a recent series as well. Um, but yeah, the the um, Strikeless one was the main one. I think he's put up another one as well about um, mapping player kind of graphics oh, or graphics for player performance. So the kind of graphing for that. And the only other one I can think of recently is, a, I think, some reasonably new on the scene who asked us a question, which we're going to go on to next. Uh, but FM EXP or FM EXP, or yeah, I guess FM EXP would, would do for that, who's been looking at creating like a, a single stat for working out player kind of comparative values and things like that. So he's, he's got a, a blog or two out about that that's worth a read. 
But yeah, we could probably go on to the questions, I think. I think there was only was there only one this time. Yeah, what was that? Um let me find it now quickly. Um from FMEHP. Um how much is a world class striker worth in FM twenty? As a ballpark figure, I'm thinking in excess of a hundred million. He says he's interested in the thoughts from everyone. And he's tagged four people four separate creators. So I'll we'll open this with you, Fernando. It's it's a hard one for me to, to answer because I've spent most of my FM life and particularly FM twenty cycle in either South America or <laughs> lower leagues. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how much Mbappé goes for these days. But yeah, I'm guessing his numbers are right for what you what you see in the market, you know, the, the CPU clearly not 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 me. Uh, yeah, about 100 million, maybe a bit more, depending on age. I think in FM and particularly in, in modern football, age is like probably, if not the first, the, the second biggest uh, thing clubs are going for. Like a player can be very good, but if he's like 19, he's 10 times worth more. So I, I think I think 100 million surely is, 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 a, is, a, is a good number. What about you, Kate? What's your opinion? Um, yeah, I, th- I, I really think it tends to depend on the striker. I mean, and, and to some extent, it also depends on what club you're buying him from, right? If you want to buy, you know, uh, somebody like, say, Fernandinho off of Liverpool, they're going to break your legs getting mm-hmm. money out of you. But if you try and get you know, somebody like, I don't know, Obama Yang from Arsenal, it's going to be a little, uh, quite a bit less, right? Yeah. Um, because, because they're just not in the same position as Liverpool to be able to say no to people. Um, so I think that a lot of it depends really on how, uh, on the, the, the selling team or the potential selling team and what they're willing to do. Um, you know, certainly I've rejected 120 million pound bids for players because I don't want to lose them. Um, and that's, you know, like I, when I did Tottenham in FM 19, I did, uh, I got, they were after Harry Kane, every single transfer window. Um, and I'd be getting offers of 120 million, 140 million, all kinds of, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. And the good thing is, Kerry Kane's such a professional that he just tends not to get upset by that. So, so yeah, I, I would say it really, it really does depend as much on, on where you're buying him from, as much as, and also, you know, I mean, if you're buying him from, from Sweden, it's going to be a lot cheaper than buying mm-hmm. him from Italy. And so on. So it, there's so many variables that go into it that that I mean, you the the best I could do would be a range, you know, maybe as low as eighty million to something like you know uh, I've seen players go for a hundred and eighty or even two hundred million for a top striker. So it's that's about the closest I could come is is that huge range. Um, well, what about you then, Pam? I think it's the wrong question in terms of, no, in a nice way, okay. but like in, in terms of um, 
what's a world class striker? Like I'm like um, Fernando. I like a lot of people really in that I've not really played in many leagues or, or levels for those leagues recently where I've had the kind of money or the kind of traditional you know world class players. But I've had lots of really good strikers because I don't need an all round striker. I don't need a complete forward. I don't need a striker who's going to do everything. I just need a striker who's doing a very particular job because of the way I've set up my tactics. So I need someone who is a you know a blunt object, a target man. And they'll score and they'll set up and they'll do everything and the team will be successful. But they wouldn't really be the traditional world-class kind of player. And it might be kind of like you were saying, right. Kate, it depends who you're buying them off. But it also depends what value they place on them in their positions. So some positions tend to be uh, valued quite highly. And if they're more flexible, if they've got really good attributes, they can have lots of value on them, even if you don't really need all of those attributes or all of that flexibility. So I might pay lots of money for a really good target man, but there'll be lots of teams willing to sell them as well because they don't fit into as many sort of game plans. So I think it's kind of right. what do you mean by a world-class striker in that situation? And I think I said in one of the oh. replies to the tweets, the most I've ever spent is about 35 million. And that was years and years ago on like FM 07 or 08 or something like that. And I bought them for a struggling like Derby side. And they were meant to, I think they were playing for like the Real Madrid B team. And they were meant to be saving us from relegation. And after this record signing, they scored like two goals and that was it. And I got fired. Um, so I got dazzled by the name and the money. And I should have just got someone who was functional instead for me. What about you, Ryan? Mine's very similar to sort of you. Like, what do you deem as a world class striker? Is it world class as in? the very top strikers in the world or a world-class striker who would be world-class for your club. So I, I'm a bit unsure like that. And I don't think you can really put price on how good a player can be and how much you're spending. So like Kate said, just to sort of reiterate, if you're going to say, say for example, you're trying to, you are trying to sign Fernandinho from Liverpool, you're going to be paying a hell of a lot. You find a similar player with similar attributes in, say for example, the Welsh Premier League, you are probably paying a lot less for a very similar player, but that's a sort of you. You can't really put a sort of money marker on it. You pay what you you deem is worth, and I I don't really spend too much on players anyway. I'm, I'm a sort of a wheeler and dealer, but it it's normally comes at a sort of an expense of a free contract at the end of the season or something similar like that. But and that's the other end of the expense as well, isn't it? You get a free player that you're actually spending millions on over the course of a season or you'll get a really expensive player and you'll add millions onto them exactly yeah so i remember uh, years ago i created an article um i think it was uh, before we transitioned over to this sort of new website and it was focusing on like um these you, you wonder kids and how much profit you make people seem to think that you make a lot of money just from the transfer fee ins and out but then you've got to realize that you're spending so much on the wages uh, agent fees and everything like renewing contracts and everything and it, when you really look into it that way and you sort of take out the expenses you might only end up with like one or two million and in the grand scheme of things is one or two million worth spending to sort of create over a, a four or five year period I'm not sure so when you start looking to it a little bit more detail about the wonder, wonder kids and selling them for the right money 
if you sort of break down how much they've cost you to sort of finance them, like the wages and everything like that, sometimes you're not making as much as you think you are. Very true. Yeah. I'm guessing his question was more like aimed at the 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 Premier League standard. Uh, yeah. World Cup striker. Um, but but yeah, I agree that. I mean, me, me particularly having. As, as I said, I mean, managed so much in the in the in, in lower lakes and, and stranger and stranger countries. I had a, a a hard time when I started playing with Livorno earlier this 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 cycle, learning to like gauge how much money I was supposed to be playing for for players beyond beyond their value, below their value, or or whatever. Uh, I I was so used to like fishing in the freebies <laughs> you know like oh a 35 year old tall man yeah target man go inside go so i guess i guess the the the, the heart of the issue is how weird value in fm is like how hard it is to calculate you know what a player's worth and i know it's it's a due to with uh, regarding re reputation and club and how much you're paid and your role and Etc. Etc. But I I, th I feel at the end of the day it's it's a very hard thing to to measure accurately what a player's worth is and what their worth is has to do with what uh, a, a club wants for them. Like I mean I I've had so many times I go oh look this are interesting Brazilian 18 year old uh, really nice potential only 72k yeah they want a million and a half so yeah it's, it's uh, the, the value and the actual money you pay sometimes has nothing to do with it so i i feel that's the like the core of the of the problem yeah and that's kind of made me think as well what you're saying there about the kind of worth of a player one way maybe to look at it even with like say premier league players is what's this striker going to do for your team are they going to get the you know 20 goals you need to survive in that case what's survival worth if you can work out what survival's worth, you can kind of work out how much you might want to stretch for that player. Likewise, if that player's going to get you the goals, that's going to get you Champions League qualification or a title or a cup somewhere. At the end of the day, how much is that going to bring in for you to kind of cover them? And in that case, you could end up with a player who's world-class, who's 150 million, who's worth every penny of that 150 million because you're getting that in over the next couple of seasons. Or it could be, well, actually, it's that player is only going to be the difference of a couple of positions. Maybe they're not worth quite as much, even if their value says they are. But again, it's been a while since I've managed mm -hmm. in the top flight. The other factor that I can think of that comes into it is um, nationality. Yeah. Uh, if, you want to, if you want to buy an English striker, you're going to have to pay through the nose for him because mm -hmm. there aren't many. So mainly like... Um... Right, I mean, if you specifically want an English striker like Harry Kane... Or Dominic Cavalloon, yeah. Danny Welbeck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, there's not a lot of them. Uh, Greenwood, yeah, Greenwood's a very uh, good example. He's a uh, it's, it's sort of reputation yeah. more than anything, isn't it? The less people know about him and, and whatnot, yeah. it's as a balancing factor. But you're almost going to pay a premium. Mm -hmm. That was one of the replies, wasn't it, by uh, Guido Mary, um, an article about player reputation. Um, it's got a series on um, 
can't find the series there. Put the link in there. Uh, but he's got a series, there it is, on Strikerless, which is the uh, La Magica, uh, the Monchi Files, the art negotiating a good deal. Um, he suppose that reputation drives the value of the deal, and that's partly coming from nationality, isn't it? And then it'll be the, right. the reputation, yeah, like you say, as a nationality, but then their club level as well and how they're actually performing. There's, there's just so many different factors which go into towards it. It is crazy, though. That's why I think a lot of people yeah. just get these wonder kids for like three or four million rather than spending 25 million on a tried and tested player. They'd rather just risk it for, you know, for the off the chance that this player is going to turn into something special. It's less of a risk, though, isn't it? I think that's probably one of the, the football manager kind of problems. And in the real life, people will shell out millions and millions for a proven striker because the conversion rate of wonder kid to to success is actually pretty low. It's high risk for a team that needs to, mm-hmm. you know, always make top four or be challenging for title or to make sure they survive. It's the wonder kids are a massive risk, but actually in football manager, it's probably Priority, less risky. It? Yeah. 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 It's the, it's the way it's the culture of doing it. It's like a balancing game really, but it's obviously a lot way, a lot more swing towards buy young sell. <laughs> Whereas in football, it's just uh, creating a team with stability and balance, really, isn't it? And having the sort of a, a pathway for players to sort of progress when they can. Yeah, but I, I think it, in, in in some ways, people. I mean, sometimes I know it's an it's an a problem inherent um, a problem that's. Oh my god! Uh, I know it's a problem that's like core to to FM because. Of the way that the game has to work, I mean, it's, it's, there's no way to replicate that uh, way of not knowing if a player is going to turn out good or not. True. But I also think it's something that people sometimes bring on themselves by by looking to uh, outside sources for for scouting. You know, like wonder kid lists and best free agents and that. Yeah. I mean, I I never do that. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone for doing it, but the feeling I get when I sign a young player yeah. and I learn that he's actually a wonder kid, it's like, I mean, I could have left, like just Googled him and see, oh yeah, 190 PA, yeah, let's sign him for nothing and he'll end up being Ronaldo. But uh, I feel that that wonder kid churning machine, uh, it's something that some people like bring on themselves. I, I just like Googling aspects core to the game. It's like, I don't know if you could like Google the best place to win at chess. It's like this mm-hmm. that's not something you can do, but the Bunny FM you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm the same way. I I just I rigorously avoid anything like Wonder Kid lists or or you know, anything like that. It just it spoils my game very much if I if I know who they are outside the game because again it, for me it comes back to the yeah. narrative right if if i if i introduce players that i found from outside the game then i'm breaking the fourth wall and that's just not a great way to treat your story even without the story it's that issue of achievement as well isn't it if you, it's a different achievement if you found mm-hmm. them yourself and progress them yourself to one way if you found the list where someone else has already found them on yeah, but I think we can agree that the uh, price is going to be about two hundred million. I think that's what we're going to go for. If we're going to put a number to it. Huh. I think we can agree that it's time for us to go to bed. <laughs> that too. 
So this has been fun. A nice professional return to to podcasting. Uh, thanks for listening to us, uh, everybody. You can find the rest of the episodes on Anchor and other platforms for podcasts. You can find our articles on dictatethegame.com. Um, you can find, find Kate Old Lady Plays on YouTube as well. And you can find Fernando at Rock and FM um, for your blog in needs too. Um, and there'll be some links in the description for this too if you don't want to go and Google them yourself. I think that's goodbye from all of us. Thank you for listening. Bye. Indeed. Thank Bye, you. Bye, everyone. Anything to add, Luke?